It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to 3 The Tennis Show. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. So much to talk about as the season is underway with Nadal at 0-2, Djokovic at 2-0. And And, uh, I think Rafa is where we'll start. And then we'll go to Novak, who will play Denis Shapovalov in the quarterfinal of Adelaide in uh, 12 or so hours from now uh, at a really awful time slot for us here in the United States. Um, Djokovic second. First, Nadal, who I think is at the moment maybe the most hotly debated topic in the tennis world because we have that kind of panic meter thing going on. Nadal in his last several matches has not had a good win rate at all. Uh, But to me, it's really ignore what happened at the end of, of last year and take a look at these two matches this year. What are your takeaways, Amy, from the two matches that you've seen so far this year, a loss to Cameron Nori and a loss to Alex Dimonor? Happy New Year, everybody, first of all. Secondly, tip of the cap to you, Gil, because you were all over this issue back when you were doing your courtside reporting for the U.S. Open, that there was something wrong with Nadal's serve. And I think you said you saw him practicing. And now it's even more um, pronounced, not necessarily the problem itself, but the stats are starting to bear out. And also there was a great graphic on the world feed that showed Nadal's contact point on the serve from the toss um, in the two matches that he's had so far this year versus last year's Australian Open. Um, and the toss points, the contact points are different. And Jim Courier happened to be calling that match for the world feed and, you know, speculated that, that the service motion, because of the ab strain that he, uh, perhaps is not fully healed from, um, is either by design, he's tossing it that way or, because he's hampered, he can't make contact where he normally likes to, um, is having an impact on his serve. So you've got that graphic, which shows a stark difference. But then let's look at the stats themselves. In his two matches, uh, Nadal is not to his usual stellar career numbers in first serves in, first serve points one, and crucially, second serve points one. So clearly, Houston, we have a problem here. I'm looking. So there are two games in tennis. There's a serve game and the return game. And it's interesting, the two players we're going to talk about, it's both a key part of what they're up to. So here, Nadal, that injury, and whether it's conscious or adaptation or all the things that people do, even the very best in the world, how injuries affect them and how they compromise things. And again, always remember, Nadal, never a natural lefty in the first place. Now he's having to serve his lefty serve with an injury. And that's that's not helping the point get started. And then that triggers other parts of the game, whereas we'll, we'll talk later about Novak and his return. But uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. I think we've been doing a lot of ignoring 
some of Rafa's results lately because it's like, you know, you're talking about the panic meter. It's like, oh, not worry, not worry. You know, now a little bit, just a little bit more of a shadow, huh? Bit. Well, I'm, I'm certainly, yeah, there's certainly no ignoring these two results because it's been a while now. Uh, you know, the, the ab injury at this point was at Wimbledon. You, you, you have to get past it at, at a certain point. Uh, and if, if you don't, it's more so an, an error, uh, most likely in, in your recovery process, more likely to be an error in your recovery process than it is just, you know, kind of the natural process of coming back from an injury, which is always difficult at the start. At this point, it has been a long time. And I, I do find it uh, kind of surprising that the toss hit points are still different. And Amy, to be clear, are they, is it, it was lower, correct? Lower and more out to the left? It was closer to his body. So, so, so they were commenting that, um, and they showed ad induce and interesting. There was, it was even different ad induce what the problem seemed to be, but generally speaking, the toss was closer to his body. So what Courier and, and his partner were saying is that no way could he hit the kick, kick serve. Like that would be just, you can't hit it from a ball that's that close to your body. You, you got to toss a little bit farther behind, but he's not a kick serve guy anyway. He's a slice guy with his lefty slice. Um, even so, one of the best coaches that I've ever met once told me that a millimeter or a centimeter difference up here is a foot where it lands. So if you're making minute changes to the where to your toss location, that's going to have a big impact on hitting your targets. Your coach is really wise about that stuff. And I want to just, I don't think it's an error, Gil. I think it's just a delay. There's not, he hasn't made a mistake. It's just the body might not be cooperating in his thing. And maybe that means, maybe it means we'll take layer off. I mean, it's like, we're kind of on a certain kind of a, a little alert, you know, it's like a, it's like when they look at the world, they see how close it's, it's a little closer to the that midnight of an injury. I'm not saying the end of his career. I'm just saying about the concern factor and this stuff with the serve. Um, yeah, okay. So the the motion becomes cramped. You can't you can you can't be as expansive with the toss. You can't get the body into it. So there's all this kind of uh, impingement on the delivery. At this point in time, Joel, going back to you're right. I, I unless you're in the training room, unless you are one of the high-level professionals that that is working with Rafa to to get through kind, kinds of these things, it, it's hard to know. But at this point in time, if Nadal still doesn't feel like he can really get up to the serve to, to reach out and extend his his mm -hmm. midsection uh, like you need to do on, on a serve, it strains, naturally strains the abdominal area, um, then at that point in time, I am questioning whether or not Nadal should have come back in Cincinnati, right. should have come back at the U.S. Open, should have played this indoor hardcourt season. I think that is what is going to be into question if we are still seeing evidence that the serve is not normal. Is that fair? Agreed. Right. So that's like that's a, I agree with that. That's right. So the question. So Rafa is thinking, where is the injury at, and maybe did it get worse in the in during the U.S. Open, or maybe or or what's the recovery, or or all those kind of things, and these injuries are very. Uh, very mysterious, you know, it's a, it should be so simple as conclusive as let's say in 2016, Federer, his knee out the whole half of the year, forget it. But here, Rafa, he, 
he made these efforts to come back and 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 again and we'll still see i mean and we'll still wait to see but it's a little it's it's a little concern another thing and by the way uh amy you wrote this on tennis connected and it was a really good piece um, oh, thanks. The first serve in stat, because it's very digestible. I do want to kind of give that out. Uh, he was 61% against Demonor. He was 58% against Cam Nori. And the career number is going to take me just a second. Amy, do you remember 68, it? 68, I think. 68. Which yep, is right. right. It, that is perfect because sometimes if you go too high on your first serve percentage that means you're not giving it enough or or, or whatever i mean occasionally you're just freaking on and and novak was which we'll talk about in a minute but um 68 is a perfectly wonderful gold standard for that agreed but for a guy like nadal who's not a, um who's not a um ace kind of guy he gets some but it's more about it's more about teeing up the rally that's right. And not being hurt and not being hurt by the return. And so that's a huge, I mean, granted, we're talking two matches, but that's a huge, huge gap. And then it, and then the confidence part. I think Nadal, for all his confidence and skill, his need to feel who he is, that he's being Rafa. You know, it's like the whole way he's with preparation and health. He, he's not a guy who wants to feel that he's winging it ever. One more thing on the serve. Um he needs that shot to get better, not worse. I mean, exactly. we, we have seen the, you know, to counter the decline of movement and fitness. And, and I believe, I believe Nadal, you know, has in, in a lot of ways already done this in his career, but it, it just needs to continue. I think Novak has done this uh, with Roger. There just wasn't that much room for improvement on the serve. Uh, but that shot, needs to become a bigger part of his game if he's going to have success. And I, I think that's a good thing to focus on heading into the Australian Open uh, is just that the serve needs to be good uh, because I don't think he can win without that shot being good anymore, uh, as was the case for a lot of his career. Yeah, I agree. The serve is not only the serve. You know, it's not only you starting the point and in men's tennis, particularly you being able to set the tone for how the point is going to play out. It's also from a purely math perspective, it's the first shot of the rally. Well, we know that shots one through four are like your diamonds. Those are like your, your premium, your primo. They're worth more really from a purely math perspective point of view because the vast majority of points are played within the first four strokes so that means shot one carries a lot of value even for a player whose serve is not his stock and trade or his bread and butter um it's crucially important yes and i i for years you know we've heard the term of the serve as a as a point starter i, I don't believe that i think that's i think that's an escape I think that's evasive and irresponsible because it doesn't really, it's not just a point. It's not neutral. It's not a new, it's not meant to, Oh, it just gets the point started. I think it's really, it, like you said, it helps set the tempo of the point and can do that. Well, of course, in some cases it can end the point, but it can also set up the kind of return that allows you control. And then, and that dictates the flow of the entire match because then you can control these points and then you're less liable on other points. And so 
the role. It's like the, the term, a serve game, a return game, how those shots are used. I mean, that has implications at all levels. It's, it's fast. That's where the thing about what the pros do and what civilians do have tremendous continuity. Yeah. All right. I, I liked that we zoomed in on the serve. I think it's very important. Zooming out his overall level. I think there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of areas where things did look pretty good, uh, and that the level for a lead up event for a lead up event in Australia is fine. And the perspective that I have made sure to kind of remind people is at the Melbourne 250 last year. Well, first of all, Nadal went 0-2 at the exhibitions that don't matter in Abu Dhabi. So, and, and he did not look good in those matches at all, right? But then he goes to the Melbourne 250, and I did not think his level was good. Like, my takeaway from that was if he played a better player, he would have lost. But but he played Ricardus Barankis, Emil Roussevori, Maxime Cressy. He had a withdrawal in there, and he won the title. So he won the title. <laughs> level was not good. Um relative to what Nadal can do. So going into the Australian Open, we didn't, at least for me, I didn't have that sense that, okay, Rafa is ready and charged in for a big two-week run. Uh, it's not the feeling I got at all. So what Nadal said after the match is, is, look, I think my level's fine, which I personally agree with, and there's plenty of time until Australia. And I think despite the record that says 0-2 because Nori and Demonor are both phenomenal and both played mm -hmm. great matches, I don't mm -hmm. think that's really reflective of a, a, a large-scale panic in his level. I agree. I, I think um, we've we've sat here and we made all this big deal out of the serve, but he's still functioning quite well. These were close matches against Nori, in my view, is just an incredible player right now. He's a lefty, which is a problem even for a lefty. And Demonor was a late ad for Curios who dropped out and he's playing in his home country. And it's kind of like, dude, we're just glad you're there. So he was playing with a lot of abandon, you know, just free, very free. So um, these were, you know, sort of quality losses. We're kind of nitpicking. So I agree with you, Gil. He's not, it's not catastrophic. And, and panic is the wrong thing to do right now. Although I do disagree with you. I thought the win over uh, Cressy last year heading into the Australian Open was a quality win because he had to do a lot of problem solving. I think the, uh, the pre-tournament, Results vary for different players. I think I remember once I saw um, Pete Sampras before Wimbledon, and he'd lost. I think he hadn't he hadn't won the Queens Club tournament. And he said, "It's he said to me, it's just about getting innings. That's an American baseball term. He just was getting match play experience and just getting that. And he's not he's aware that he'd won Wimbledon seven times. So he's just kind of got his eye on what the prize is. And I think again for for Rafa, it's yeah. Am I? Am I playing? Am I rounding into form? Am I hitting the ball well? There's some good things. Oh, by the way, I did win that 250. That's nice. But that's kind of like okay. an incidental journey. Now, if you're ranked number 17, if you're Max Cressy heading into Australia, that's a big deal. I won a tournament and I beat anyone to win a tournament. So it's kind of this, but, and it's also, none of this I know if it's even true as much as I think of it as like, it's tennis player logic. I'm just kind of, however the board looks for me, it's going to work from my view of how I need it to be. Oh, I've won tournaments before. 
it's it's okay. This is good. I'm hitting the ball well. I'm moving. I'm feel. I saw some good signs out there. Oh, I won. Outcomes good. Yeah. So they they you can they can work it any way they want. Fair enough. Fair enough. Let's go to Novak. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. A lot less drama around the level that he's at, despite being... Uh, just one year younger than Nadal, there is there is no sense of you know where is Novak at with his game and is there a decline um, because uh, well he had an awesome end to last year he is now two and zero with uh, wins over Frenchman Constant Lestien and Quentin Alice and I I don't think I pronounced Alice's first name correctly uh, but French names are my weakness. Noted. Um, so, <laughs> I I think maybe the biggest story is the reception in in Adelaide that that Djokovic has has received. There are Serbian flags everywhere. The, at the the stadium, no surprise, but is completely packed. But it's not just packed like after the third game of the first set. It's packed like ten minutes before he walks out. Like there's a lot of excitement in in Adelaide for Djokovic, Joel, and and a lot of discussion last year, and I guess a little bit in the lead up to this year of if that would be the case or not in Australia. I think we talked about that. I thought in the tennis world around the tournaments and such. I think um, uh, that would be the case because the tennis fans in Australia are fair. They love hardworking players. Novak's a champion. He's won there nine times. He's great. I'll be curious. I'm still a little curious to see what happens when he surfaces in in Melbourne. And what the whole broader city thing is like inside the tennis world, I think he's going to be revered. And and again, you know, no, the drama you talked about, Novak and the drama on the court. His drama rarely takes place on the court. I mean, the things for him, it's the stuff that goes that's gone on outside the court. All the stuff that happened last year when he's Australia, and he'll be asked about that and talk about that. But it's just, uh, I think it's really nice to see him back, and it's great to see that passion and excitement around watching him play. Now, Gil, why would the reception that Novak is getting surprise you? Because, and I'm going to find this clip, because I I think I remember my words were, it will be a story of redemption when he returns to Australia, and the crowd will chant his name. I believe I used those words. And sure enough, they're chanting, Novak, Novak. Um, uh, Sure, Melbourne will is is a different city, but I expect even more adulation. No, I said in the crowd, I agree with you. I, I don't think there won't be, I, I'm t- at the crowd, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about like 
the city itself a little bit even then i mean I, if there will be like a protest i yeah, doubt it i, I doubt, doubt it too. i doubt that too but i just that's what i was talking about i think there'll be as i agree with you and yeah and you did say that i remember that you said that i, I will, will find that i just have to find the clip because it's like so rarely am I so spot on that when I am spot on, I want to do like a victory lap. I'll find it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think um, it's great to see. It really is. Um, I know we're going to get to this. Maybe, I don't know if you wanted to wait until after we talked about the matches, but uh, there's some worry that he won't be able to get into the United States because here in the U.S. we've just extended the COVID um restrictions that we had that you need to be vaccinated non-citizen if you're going to enter the United States and the reason is that there's a huge spike in COVID in China right now not here in the States necessarily I mean I know friends that have had COVID recently but it's been pretty mild hospitalizations are down so it's not really spiking but for visitors coming in um, that is a thing that being said, I just want to add the little caveat here that um, if you follow the great journalist John Wertheim on uh, social media, he tweeted yesterday that he's hearing, and when he hears, I listen, he's hearing that um, there is a potential pathway for Novak to be able to come into the United States and play Indian Wells and Miami uh, via a, an exemption. So... There you have it. You're up to date. Which was pretty much, I mean, we did think that was the case last year, right? That there might be an exemption for Novak. In the United States? Yeah. We, Not we in the United States. In the United States. I didn't think we that. Thought the, in, the, in the U.S., we thought the rules might change um, yes. in time. For all people. For all That's people. Fair. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Wasn't gonna be, I had no sense. I had no, after all that happened in Australia last year, I had no thought that anyone in the tennis world was going to try to pursue an exemption from Novak. Yeah, I think the thinking was maybe for all people. For all yeah, people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. Um not surprised, by the way, for the record, at the Adelaide reception at all. Um maybe because Amy uh put it in my head. Uh but no. I I mean you have to remember because of what Novak went through, the passion that his supporters feel are going to be leveled up to a 10 in Australia. We have to show this guy, welcome this guy to our country. If I live two hours away from Adelaide, that's a, that's a hike. That's a long drive for a Novak Djokovic fan. And that Novak Djokovic fan may not have gotten in the car and wanted to drive two hours to Adelaide uh, three, uh, two, three years ago for this 250 event. But now it is even more important for that Novak Djokovic fan to bring their Serbian flag and drive the Adelaide 250. So we are seeing the, the byproducts uh, of that, that there is an increased passion and understandably so uh, to support Novak after what happened last year. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was support, I think, to celebrate. Sure. To celebrate, to enjoy Novak. I mean, yeah. to, to enjoy Novak. I mean, uh, yeah, that's it. And then, okay, on the on the Sunshine Double, Indian Wells, Miami thing, um, I think at this point, despite uh, John Wertheim hearing that there might be a way around it, um, under the assumption that he's not going to be able to play, which is looking like the most likely outcome, 
what does this mean for for like rankings and and seeding like last year it was kind of new and fresh and it felt like okay 2022 is kind of going to be somewhat of a lost year 2023 for it to happen again I, I don't know does it feel a little bit different this year I just feel, I guess the main thing I'm feeling is right now Novak is, is five in the world. He's not going to be a top four seed for the Australian Open. And he's in pole position if he's able to play these events in the first half. He would be in pole position to get back to number one in the world. Um, but with with Australia, he'll probably be top four most likely. But without the Sunshine Double and stuff, he's still at a disadvantage in the rankings. I, I think I think what's going to happen based on what's happened these last two years of the pandemic and people missing tournaments and travel bans and choices and all these things, we're going to have a lot more conversations like the one we had at the end of the year about who's the best player. You know, is it the guy who is number one in the rankings? Is the guy who won these titles? Is this guy who's showing the form? And I think that's going to continue. As far as the Novak view, I don't think Novak gives, I think Novak, yeah, kind of disturbs him. I, I, look, I, I'm the best player of, of the last, 15 years, I'll beat whoever. It doesn't matter. I don't think Novak, I don't think that matters from the Novak view. I don't think he cares truly. Okay, good. So I'm seated six going into Roland Garros. Whatever. I'll go. I'm supposed to, I've won the tournament twice. I've won a zillion other titles. Go ahead, throw them down in front of me. Tell you what, don't seed me. I don't care. I, I really think. That's actually, that's the one Roland Garros would be the one where I would think a better seeding would be a significant advantage for him. Otherwise, it's almost a gift that he can, a blessing in disguise that he would be able to take that time off. Because as we've talked about many, many times, it's for a, a player of advanced age, it's better to take chunks off of the season and, and rest. And look at last year, he had to take blocks of time off and when he did play, he was lights out and phenomenal. So it could be a blessing in disguise. But the other part of me would love to see him play these marquee tournaments in the United States. Um, I mean, the guy owns a place in Miami. The last I heard, he probably hasn't been able to even go to his own home that he has there for the past three years. So it would be lovely to have him back in the States, but right from a fan standpoint, it's, um, it's, it's upsetting. It's sad because people in various cities want to see him play in person. I, I certainly do. And from his standpoint, it's like, all right, it's the card dealt these cards. And, and again, I don't, I, yeah, I, I get this talk about seating and even the French open where, Oh, you don't have to play this guy. You're Novak Djokovic. You've won. You, you won a zillion titles. You've been number one more than anyone ever. Good. Throw yeah. throw whoever you want at me. I think that's a big key, actually. The, the thing you just snuck in there, because overall, I agree with you, Joel, that seeding is is not the the most important thing for him. I I do think in a parallel universe where he was still chasing the the number one stuff, uh, this this would really be quite bothersome to him that that he can't be number one uh but we've all agreed that that time now that he has the records has kind of passed and it's it's not all that important anymore no How, not so i guess the other question with that would be i like, mean with the again with the exception that you don't want to play rafa too early at roland garros i mean that 
I think we can all agree is a disadvantage. Uh, okay, I'm gonna I um, I'm gonna get I'm gonna go forty nine percent on that. You got to beat Rafa. I mean, I know, I know. Yeah, for I'm looking from the Nova. I'm looking at the view through Novak's lens, not through the tournament's lens, not through the public's lens. That want not through anyone's, not through that lens, but through the Novak lens. It's not gonna, I got to beat Rafa somewhere. I've, I've beaten him in. I've beaten him twice. I've beaten him in the quarters. Beaten him, it's it's all. It's just part of the whole uh, journey through competition. Now, from all the other segments, yeah, I don't want to see. I mean, the whole purpose of seeding in the first place was to eliminate, you know, the, the two top players in the tournament meeting early. That was why seeding was created in the first place, a hundred years ago. They the top two. They they was meant so that. So you had so you didn't draw out of a hat, and it's like wow, first round Novak and Rafa, you know the the top two. It, that's why seating was created to kind of create those those places, those placeholders for those other players. Yeah, uh, well, impressively so far, there's been no ill effect on his tennis for the stop start stop start kind of nature of it, uh, which which maybe maybe eventually that could could have an effect, but so far. Uh, the level's been really good. Maybe, maybe it's not ideal like going to a tournament like Monte Carlo if you don't play the Sunshine Double. At the same time, uh, a lot of players who do well in Miami they they stink in Monte Carlo. Like nobody can ever make that transition. Yeah. So, it's <laughs> <laughs> true. So, who who knows? Um, the Atlantic Ocean. So we're gonna call. Well, that was the notion. <laughs> Didn't you have a? Can we talk about this sometime about start the clay court season in Miami? Or whatever, didn't we have we talked oh, about? Oh, I, I, I find that this Indian Wells Miami situation is not good. Um, I think I came to the conclusion that we really need to split them up because Indian Wells is from a weather point of view and a darkness point of view and all that. It's it's at the perfect time. Miami, you could really play anytime. So my thing was play Miami before Australia whatever but people are really married to this sunshine double thing i mean folks these tournaments are on opposite ends of the united states you're you're changing time zones it's very tough on the body um and then to go play monte carlo i mean what a drag well it's not not quite queen's club to the all england club yeah Yeah. that's going across town i i wrote this years ago about the notion i think and we about two and i think You've talked about it too, Amy. Uh, yeah, start the year in Miami, go to Australia, then go Indian Wells, or even have Australia after it. But the, the thing about this is the wedding and investment that's had in these is result of the localization of tennis. It's it's that it, it's not it, it's it's not it's not that Miami cares about Indian Wells. It's just that it's kind of like emerged that way. It's kind of like the the challenge of tennis organizing itself. I mean, this this calendar reform thing we could talk about forever. And it, but it has to do with this the localization of these franchise of these franchises. This is this isn't a league. This is just yeah. a series of of nation states. Yeah. All right. Well, we're way off track. Let's uh, <laughs> let's look at Djokovic next couple matches. Shapovalov and a potential Medvedev semifinal. Um, I'm really interested in in both of those potentials because I, I really like. I think Dennis has become more controlled and more patient. Uh, now that could change. Maybe it's just something I saw at the very end of last year, but I, I think I'm seeing that. So I feel like he's dangerous. Uh, second, um, yeah. So so I'm excited to see that one. And then the Medvedev rivalry has always been so intriguing. Joel, any any thoughts on the Novak Shapo matchup? 
Yeah, I think Dennis, you know, I, the player came to mind, just hang with me on this, is a little bit like James Blake when he was playing well. Like Dennis is dangerous, lively, shot maker. He, he's going to get some, he's going to score some points. He's going to mm-hmm. do some things. So then it's kind of an interesting thing to see how Novak acting almost like a safe cracker, how he turns the combo and finds the answer. I think that's a, I'm more excited from a, from a viewing standpoint to watch that match than I would be uh, Novak and Medvedev. Novak and Medvedev, it's like, yeah, I've seen it. I, I like it. It's it, that's a higher overall quality because Medvedev has had a much better career than than Dennis. But I think that the the Shapovalov thing is kind of an intriguing little little problem statement, and I think that's one of the things where you can you can watch Novak shine if he wins that match. You see how Novak goes about being his his great Novak, like he would against Medvedev too. But it's just. Uh, they're, they're good matchups. And these are the type of things. This, by the way, is a great, like Novak, you could see putting in the stepping stones towards finding his game. And he's so, so methodical, so in control. You know, whenever you see him walk on a court, okay, he's in, he's in, he knows what he's up to here. He's organized. They're both appointment viewing. <laughs> Although I don't know if I'll be waking up, you know, at 1 a.m. or whatever. Um, I, I will you know, go back and watch on Tennis Channel Plus. Um, the Chapo match is interesting because I've always viewed Shapovalov as a guy who pulls the trigger for the flare shot uh, too quickly without, in certain situations, without playing percentage tennis. And it for, for a player like Djokovic, who always seems to know the right time to play percentage tennis and the right time to go for break conditions and go for that shot. Um, For me, for, for somebody like Djokovic, it's pretty easy match. You just wait for Chapeau to kind of get in his own head and try to push too much or do too much. Um, Although being a lefty is never fun opponent to face um the Medvedev match I'm fascinated to watch him this year because he said last year was bad I'm throwing it out it wasn't me it was a one-off and this year he says he's come back with much more um mental discipline and things have quieted in his his uh personal life and you know he had a baby and probably get he's gotten used to uh life like that now um and so far he's looked really good so we know that series is just fraught with drama and uh i'd love to see that match up so i certainly hope novak comes through the chapeau match i didn't see those uh those quotes from from Medvedev I'm, I'm glad to hear that from him the fact that he finished seven in the world and his response is like that was crap I'm better yeah. uh, I think that's that's a good thing um from from a Medvedev perspective to hear so uh heating up for Djokovic in Adelaide and uh of course um we will at the very least talk to you next when the Australian Open draw is out potentially before then uh that'll do it for this episode of three. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. We appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify. And if you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, and subscribe. We will see you next time on the next episode of three.